What's with all those birds? My tropical bird collection, just in case. Just in case what? We're not gonna need a dozen tropical birds. Oh, I, I was not aware that you could see the future, Lois. C can I go ahead and get tomorrow's lottery number? Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in this show is in the show notes. Um, check those out for links to stuff we're talking about and timestamps for the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead um, or find it later. So this episode we're going to be talking about masternodes. And the masternodes are essentially computers set up for proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies and some proof-of-work cryptocurrencies mm. which can keep a full copy of the blockchain and help process transactions. And the big deal with masternodes is that in return for running a masternode, you receive a certain amount of the newly issued coins... Uh, as payment for doing wow. that. So it's wow, a really wow, wow. interesting way to get some passive income mm. from these crypto networks. And you've been experimenting with that a bit as well. I have, yeah. Oh, so we'll touch on that later on. Pain. We'll also be covering a bit of news, including the uh, the Bitcoin ETF drama and uh, some other institutional rumblings. Yeah, we're also going to cover uh, NextCloud in our privacy and security segment. And NextCloud is essentially like a self-hosted cloud storage slash Google Drive slash OneDrive slash Dropbox. So... If, you, if you're concerned about privacy or um, if, if you're worried about Google or Microsoft reading all your stuff, which they can if you host with them, then uh, NextCloud is a really, really compelling option for privacy and security. Amazing. So we'll touch on that too. I will also be checking in with Jordan. Yeah. not sure where he is exactly. Well, he sent us a text, um, but it was really hard to make out what was going on. And it was just like GPS coordinates and call me. Hmm. So, Weird. I mean... Yeah, we'll probably find out. When we find out. Yeah, that's right. Weird. Let's get into it. If you want to be a part of the show, why not record a voice message in Telegram or email it to us? You could be the second ever person to uh, send us a voice recording. That's right. I don't know what it, I don't know what we've done wrong. Maybe it's because we run privacy and security segment every week and wow. none of them want to be on You're very our secure. Show. Well done. So while our voices will be stolen and and, you know, someone will probably make a knockoff FOMO show podcast with us. <laughs> It'd probably of, be better. Yeah. <laughs> what the FOMO show should be. <laughs> mm. Mm. So send your voicemail in. Mm. Joe, what is what has Joe been up to this weekend? Well, I've been I've been down to New South Wales, which is a thousand kilometers away from where we're sitting at the moment in lovely sunny-ish Brisbane and um, yeah I went down to see my family and um, I also got a new job so mm. that's pretty exciting um, yeah you've been really excited about this what are, what are, what are you going to be doing at this new job yeah so I'm going to be running digital marketing for an IT consulting firm in the city so I will be um, seeing the big city lights and uh, with a new <laughs> job so that's pretty exciting yeah mm. awesome uh, what have you been up to mate yeah, mate, I've um, been preparing to speak at a couple of conferences coming up. Nice. Uh, including the Block Conscious mm, Conference, which mm, is here mm, in, mm. next week in Brisbane. So if you're in the neighborhood, even if you're not in Brisbane, but you're uh, you're wanting something to fly to, it's being run over three days. A 
bunch of really interesting speakers. Um, Paul Seals, the 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 organizer of the event, has put, been putting in a lot of hard work trying to pull it all together and and get a really good lineup of people there. So, wow. yeah, that's that's definitely something to check out. The first day will be like blockchain basics, so mm-hmm. teaching people how to set up their wallets and what what blockchain is, what how smart contracts work. And the next two days are going to be a lot of speakers. There'll be breakout sessions. Uh, there's people like Roger Ver. Um, John McAfee. John McAfee's coming. Uh, there's there's several other quite high profile people from the crypto space, as well as a bunch of more local experts. Wow. Uh, and you're going to have access to them. The the really cool thing about this is that you'll have access to those people, not just in their speeches, but a lot of them you'll be able to have breakout sessions with and wow. smaller workshops. Wow. And yeah, so we'll be running around with our mic trying to uh, interview. A few, at least a few of them as well too. So we can see if we can get some interviews for the show too. But uh, nice. yeah, so that's been um, that's been good. Just been working on some BlockSense stuff as well. And um, BlockSense is your uh, consulting company for blockchain. Yeah, yeah. So it's essentially an, like an education and advisory company. Um, we do workshops, masterclasses. We'll consult for companies that are looking at either means testing blockchain technology or implementing it in some practical way. Cool. Um, and uh, yeah, it's look, the area is just getting growing bigger and bigger and people are getting more and more eager to learn more about it. So wow. uh, yeah, that's uh, it's been taking up a lot of time as well. So if you know people who want to know more about the blockchain, I can recommend a co-host who runs a business doing that. So yeah, <laughs> very exciting stuff. Joe, is this financial advice or any other type of advice? Um, in a word, no. Um, this isn't investment or any other type of advice. You know, a lot of people are telling you to get into cryptocurrency or buy cryptocurrencies. We're not saying you should buy anything at all. Um, for full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk on the show. But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy into it. So, do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and most importantly, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to crypto, check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts at episode two and continues till episode eight. Um, it will give you some grounding in the fundamentals and help you understand what on earth we're talking about on this show. Mm. So what's been going on in the news this week? I hear there's been a lot of talk about this Bitcoin ETF stuff. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so for, for first of all, it's probably worth explaining what an ETF actually is because you've probably seen the term around all over the internet. So what is an ETF? Yeah, so an ETF stands for an exchange-traded fund. And it, what it essentially means is if you're an everyday investor, mm-hmm. you can you can go on the market and essentially say, I want a fund that will give me exposure to a number of different assets. Right. And so these funds are, a lot of the time, the big deal with these funds is that they're used by a lot of uh, insurance companies. Right. They're used by um, superannuation companies or welfare. It's, it's called welfare in some... Uh, pension. Uh, superannuation companies, uh, it's called pensions in some places and 401ks, I think they're called in America. But essentially, if you are an employee and you're putting and money's getting put away for your retirement mm. in a fund, these funds will deal in a lot of these exchange traded assets. Right, so right, the right. fund may say, we're going to have 5% gold, 5% silver, 5% Microsoft shares, 5% Apple shares, 20% of this list of commodities. They'll have a, right, a, a, right, a right. bunch of numerous assets to kind of spread the risk out as much mm-hmm. as they can. And generally when they're, uh, when they're setting up these funds or they're looking to add or take away assets, yeah. they'll deal through a, a broker or an agent or a retailer. It's kind of like the way it works is kind of they like 
go to a shop for gold and say, you know, we want your gold offering and they yeah, add it right. to their fund. And uh, until now, you couldn't do that for cryptocurrencies because the, the market in America is, is and in a lot of other countries too, it's very regulated. Right. And you have to have permission uh, by the regulator to offer, to offer a certain portion, to, you know, to, to buy something into your exchange-traded fund wow. or to offer something as an exchange-traded fund. So if you wanted to run like what the Winklevoss twins were wanting to run, and they're the ones who've had this application rejected, they were wanting to have a, a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. So that, you know, mum and dad investors or um, these big funds, you know, these big superannuation pension 401k funds could take a position wow. in Bitcoin. Wow. And uh, so why did they reject it? Yeah, so they rejected it essentially because they said that there was a potential for market manipulation, uh, lack of investor protection. Uh, and security, there were there were there were several concerns around wow. the unknown quantities and the volatility mm-hmm. of the market as well. But it's really important to note that the the, the decision wasn't unanimous. So an SEC commissioner called Hester Pierce uh, was the dissenter, and her decision is worth reading if you get the chance. Mm-hmm. Her tweet summed it up. Essentially, it said, "Apparently, Bitcoin is not ripe enough, respectable enough, or regulated enough to be worthy of our market." I dissent. As part of the, the her dissent in the full text, she said, in addition, I'm concerned that the commission's approach undermines investor protection by precluding greater institutionalization of the Bitcoin market, um, saying that basically more institutional participation would would um, actually weaken a lot of the concerns that the, the commission have with the with the Bitcoin market. Mm. Um, and she also said that the commission's interpretation and application of the statutory standard sends a strong signal that innovation is unwelcome in our markets, a signal that may have effects far beyond the fate of Bitcoin ETPs. Yeah, because essentially what they're saying in rejecting this is mm. saying, we don't want any new products mm. in this market. We're quite happy with the products that we have. Mm. And we, you know, here's this new upstart. We don't want to give you access to this because it, it is a huge market. Uh, I was looking at some statistics that said even a 0.25% position by some of these big funds, mm. if they were to take a 0.25% position in wow. Bitcoin, would shift the market dramatically. Wow. Like there would be, overnight you could go to mm. 20K or something. And that would just be a very small position. But I find it really interesting what she's saying there about the fact that actually... The, 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 all the criticisms that they have, so saying there's lack of visibility, uh, it's a it's an it's a new market. There's you know could be potential market manipulation, lack of investor protection. That's all the stuff that the SEC has designed this framework to ameliorate in the first place. Wow. You know, so she's kind of saying we should. It's great that they're finally coming to us and wanting to participate in this market mm-hmm. because they'll finally be able to offer the the types of products that you're saying they haven't been able to offer to this point. Without allowing them to offer those products, that's going to continue. So it's like this circular logic, you know. It's nice to know, I guess, from this that the, you know, just because they made one attempt doesn't mean it's going to stop here. Yeah. Well, we met someone the other week who was, you know, interested in, you know, who'd actually put a bunch of their pension into cryptocurrency related yep. assets. Yeah. And the demand is going to grow for that. So, like it or not, mm. eventually it's going to. Well, something's going to happen. Yeah, one way or another, I think they'll find a way because the, the, the market is too attractive at this point and it's still relatively small. I think that's the other thing. So many institutional investors are looking at this market and they're salivating because mm. they're saying there's so much room for movement here. The other thing to note too, and I was, I was discussing this with a, um, a few people last week over dinner, 
is that let's say you know let's say tomorrow an ETF did get approved and some of these big funds did take a position, all of a sudden that would lock away another portion of the the overall coin supply. Mm. So you might go from mm. it can, like estimates around like maybe there's 13, 30 million Bitcoin, maybe forty million Bitcoin in active mm. like, that haven't been lost or whatever at the moment, mm. um, and a lot of that's probably tied up in in cold storage. Mm. Uh, so the, the the amount of Bitcoin that's kind of liquid and being traded is a lot less, and that's mm. why part of the reason why the price is inflated so much because there's a lack of availability. If you then are a big fund and you take even more of that piece of the pie, all of a sudden you might only have a fraction of the amount wow. liquid liquidly available, which which creates scarcity, which takes the price up, contributes more value to the market. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> there, there there could be a lot of repercussions for this kind of stuff happening too, and that's that's without even talking about proof of stake and and you know the effect that some of these funds staking some of these assets Eesh. could have on their returns. Wow. And, uh, and we'll touch on Marcinodes later, which is a, another kettle mm-hmm. of fish. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting discussion around all this. In relation to that, there were, there is some, um, some closed-door NASDAQ meetings going on. What was that all about? Out of Cointelegraph yesterday, it said that around half a dozen representatives from both traditional finance and crypto industry firms, among them reportedly the Winklevoss's twins, Gemini Company held a closed meeting in Chicago this week. As Bloomberg reports, NASDAQ Incorporated held the meeting as a way to get the industry on the path to legitimacy. So it seems like it's a slow, steady walk towards yep. legitimization, but it is happening. It is this happening. Was, this was out of the question a couple of years ago. Yeah, oh, you would you would not have had people talking about back when Bitcoin was just Silk Road and and you know anarchists. Mm-hmm. You would not have had people talking about this, but it seems like it's a very hot topic. It's in the doors of you know it's out the doors of Nasdaq. So yeah, it's not it's not a joke. No, it's not a joke, yeah. and uh, and I, I can assure you that they were looking at that SEC decision quite closely. And they may have well said, well, look, this is an opportunity for us. Mm. If we can't get it listed one way, we'll, we'll try and get it listed another. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, definitely definitely something to watch. So, mate, uh, Telegram a few days ago came out with a, with a new product called Telegram Passport. This is wild. Um, they put a blog post out on their blog, and you can check the link in the show notes, introducing Telegram Passport. Um, they're saying all you need to do is upload your documents once, your, your passport, your ID, um, your driver's license. You upload them once, store them securely, and they basically release this data directly to the people who request it mm. when you give permission for that. Mm. They're hoping that um, in the future all of the data from Telegram Passport will move to a decentralized cloud, yep. so they're not even in control of it. Mm. But it seems really interesting, and you can. there's a little demo page where you can sort of create an interface where you know, this could be really useful for you signing up to you know, um, Coinbase or an exchange, and they say, oh, we need to get your driver's license. Yeah. Now, it yeah. saves you having to upload your personal data again and again and again. To and again. many different people. Mm. Because one, one of the big issues with updating your, uploading your personal data mm. in so many different places is there's so many different servers that can get hacked. You know? and, and look, Telegram, uh, you've got to give them credit. Like that they, they, they do end-to-end encrypt everything they, they possibly can. And they haven't been hacked, at least to my knowledge. There hasn't mm. been a, a true hack of Telegram. So they're kind of putting their necks out and saying, look, we're happy to be the custodian of this stuff, and we will be able to give things to people in a in a in a way that it's manageable, in a way that you don't need to give all the data fully over. You know, they might just have view access to to some of these documents. But 
I'm really interested in what their end game is because hmm. to me, when I'm reading through this, I look at this and I think this is the first step of a company that eventually wants to be have a true custodian system. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at this and I'm saying, similar to how you, know, you might have a Twitter account that has mm. verified on it. Mm. And because it's Twitter that's verified it, you see that verified tick and you trust that mm. that person is the real mm. person mm. that claims that account. I could foresee in the not too distant future, if Telegram can build this passport thing into something that's actually relevant mm. and people actually use, it may not be too long before Telegram might say, okay, what we're going to do now is we are going to verify... Your, we're going to verify your identity internally. And because people trust this system, mm-hmm. you won't need to give your driver's license to anyone anymore. All that people will need to do is trust that we ha- have vetted it and we know that it's correct. And mm. if they they won't need to ask for your identification mm. anymore. All they'll need to ask is, are you Telegram verified? Mm. And mm. if you're Telegram verified, then they don't need anything else. Mm. You know? That's true. Um, I I could see, I look at that and I think that might be where they're going mm, with this. Mm. And in the back of my head too, I'm thinking they've just done a $1.8 billion ICO. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very interested in blockchain technology. Mm. It, it may be that this is their, their way to eventually give people that decentralized identity that we all keep mm. talking about mm. and, and hoping that one day might, might come to be. Worth watching Telegram closely. Speaking of which, um, do join us on the FOMO Telegram at <laughs> FOMO.show slash Telegram. It's like a little chat room where you can choose questions and uh, we can all just send memes and posts. And um, hello to everyone who's on Telegram. So, yeah, um, welcome. Next piece of the news, the world's largest robot hauls iron ore through Western Australia. It's not as exciting as you might expect. You know, when you're hearing world's largest robot, you're thinking some massive, you know, beastly humanoid robot like, you know, Transformer. Yeah, Optimus Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's not as exciting as that. Um, So the self-declared world's largest robot is an efficient, grubby example of automation. It's an autonomous train that recently hauled 28,000 metric tonnes of iron ore 280 kilometres across the Australian desert. That's coming out of the IEEE Spectrum magazine, which is really worth subscribing to if you're Mm. interested in future tech. Um, It's developed by mining company Rio Tinto, um, and the auto haul system, which is what they've called it, cost $940 million to build. So what they had to do is they actually had to upgrade the infrastructure all along the route by all these crossings, you know, cameras at every single crossing. And they started running them with, like, direct supervised autonomy mode, so with, like, crews still in the cabins in early 2017. Humans were present, and um, earlier this month, the train made the very first run using only remote supervised autonomy, meaning that there's somebody in an operations centre thousands of kilometres away Mm. who's running the train. So... It's, I guess it's a bit of a robot or else it's a big remote controlled train. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's happening. Like mm. we've talked about like automation with transport and I guess it makes sense for trains to be the first ones because they're on rails mm. and they've, you know, got signals. They've got plenty of signals now that send all sorts of data to the train drivers anyway. And, you know, it's control. The train drivers don't control where they go on the track anymore. It's all done remotely and they just trust that the people watching everything are doing the right thing and they mm-hmm. just go by the signals. So there's 
only a limited number of inputs that a driver actually has to consider in their driving. And it's, yeah, it, it makes sense that trains would be the first thing they automate. Mm. And the fact they're doing it in Western Australia too, which what's, is quite What's remote. important about that? Well, so the thing with Western Australia is that it's, it's one of the most remote places in the world. Wow. So where this train would be going, there wouldn't be much wi- uh, there wouldn't be any Wi-Fi there wouldn't the mobile reception would be very spotty right. you'd really only be able to do things via satellite is this like a desolate landscape or it's a it- really desolate landscape like there's some scrub and things around right. but it's like red soil so it's like desert. Mars with trees kind of yeah wow. yeah and there's not many people around I can I can guarantee you the logistics of trying to get people on this railway to kind of watch everything would have been pretty tough because it, it is so remote but mm. Uh, it will now mean that you don't need to send people out into these remote areas as much. You can, If the train can run itself, it will make logistics so much easier for these mm. companies, you know, especially... One, and then, you know, the next step is obviously having things to unload and, and load the, mm. the trains that are automated too, you know. Mm. You can start then looking at automated stations and automated ports and in areas which are quite remote. It makes a lot of sense. Mm. Wow. So next bit of news, Google Cloud has teamed up with a fintech startup called Digital Asset to provide tools for code-free blockchain app creation. This is pretty exciting because they're working with Google Cloud to create a sort of a, almost like a point-and-click solution so that without code, yep. you can build apps for the blockchain. Now, Google's head of um, cloud financial services platform said, look, this has got a massive potential to benefit customers, not just in the financial services industry, but across many industries. Mm. So they're just making it easier yep. to to be getting involved in blockchain app creation. Yeah, okay. So it, it, they're kind of doing similar to what Microsoft Azure and Amazon AWS are doing with their blockchain offerings and having like mm. marketplaces for blockchain apps and smart contracts and all sorts of different mm. things like that. And Google Cloud are not insignificant. I think they've just reached over a billion dollars a quarter wow. in um, revenue, which doesn't seem like a lot, but for Google, and you know, it's it's diversifying their income away from ads. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's pretty big stuff. Always keen for more blockchain innovation. Random piece of news: a Japanese space probe is set to land on an asteroid 3.2 billion kilometers away, pick up some samples. Um, land in a couple of different places on the asteroid and then come back to Earth. Can I just say the maths involved in this stuff like is astronomical. Like, Because we, we sit at school yeah. and we like get taught about the solar system and in our head, I don't know about other people, but in, in my head, when I first, if you say solar system to me, I think of like all the planets kind of just lined up on, you know, like on, yeah, these, on yeah, these orbits. Yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. you know, when you think of like flying to Mars, you're like, oh, Mars, it's, like, it's not the corner, that far. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's the next planet over. But you forget that. <laughs> so everything's moving within the galaxy, mm. first of all. The sun's moving. And it's like hurtling through space yeah. at, at just insane velocities. Maths. <laughs> so, the, the, so, so like you're talking about all these moving things. Yeah. And they're like millions of kilometers from each other you know and then you see this and it's like oh they're going to land a a space probe on an asteroid 3.2 billion kilometers away i'm sorry like that's that is nuts i you know i found it enough of a struggle going you know alice has five apples bob has three bob asked for one more (laughs) from alice but i mean this is nuts yeah like if you've ever been like clay target shooting or you've watched the (laughs) you've watched like clay target shooting on the 
Like trap shooting on the Olympics? That's hard, okay? That's like classified <laughs> as hard. Right. But what they're talking about here is having like something that's not that much bigger than a gun in perspective and shooting a projectile at a moving target. 3.2 billion kilometers away. Not like 50 meters away. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably have to cut a bunch of that out, man. But like, it just blows my mind. Like, it's insane. In much simpler matters, Iran is edging towards a national cryptocurrency. We don't know any details about it, really. It's come out of Press TV, the Iranian broadcaster, and they said there's a plan that's sort of coming together. The floors are being ironed out. Not as tricky as landing a, a satellite on an ast- a, something on a, an asteroid, but still pretty interesting. Yeah, wow. Iran's uh, doing Potentially it. a way of getting around sanctions. That's what they're floating the idea as. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if it's a global currency. Iran coin. Iran coin. Mm. It'll be centralised. It'll definitely be centralised. Final piece of news. Um, BRICS nations are working together on technology for the quote-unquote fourth industrial revolution. So who's who's BRICS? So that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. This is an article coming out of RT. It's saying that the revolution 4.0 or the digital age or whatever um, is considered the fourth major technological era. It encompasses digital technology as well as nanotech, biotech, robotics, AI, and a bunch of other stuff. I heard someone discuss this a couple of weeks ago, but they called it Industry 4.0. So I think some places are calling it Industry 4.0. The the crux of this is these BRICS nations who meet quite regularly um, are basically saying they want to work together and share knowledge and work on innovating in these areas because um, the president of South Africa said that this surge in innovation has the potential to dramatically improve productivity and to place entire countries on a new trajectory of prosperity. And it has the potential to solve many of the social problems we face. He said at the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Yeah, so major banks from BRICS countries have agreed to work together to study how innovative technologies such as cryptocurrencies and blockchain could be applied to the infrastructure finance sector. So you remember last year, the uh, Central Bank of Russia proposed some joint digital currencies. I think we we covered that way I think back. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and essentially proposed that to BRICS and to the Eurasian Economic Union. So that's like Kazakhstan and a few, and a few of the countries around Russia. Mm, mm. And uh, and so that's that's been percolating in the background, and they're, and they're looking at essentially replacing the U.S. dollars and other currencies that are used in settlements. Um, they're, they're saying, and look, they're not silly. I mean, it is Brazil, Russia, yeah. India, like China, all the emergent markets. South, it's just yeah. a big deal, and it's just the difference you see here, where they're like, let's come together and make a combined currency, whereas like the U.S. is more like, no, we've got a U.S. dollar, you know. And it's really interesting how these guys are going for a lot more of a collaborative approach, mm. and they're mm. kind of saying, look, the more of us that are in on this, the more likely it is we can upend the U.S. dollar. I wonder what the combined population of Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa is huge. India, yeah. a billion. China, a billion. Russia, 140 million. Yeah. Brazil, a lot. Brazil's big. South Africa, one or two. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> it's not an insignificant number of people. No, and you were saying Nigeria's looking at getting in on this. Well, yeah, I think yeah. they're basically one of these, you know, emerging I, markets. I mean, yeah. even the Eurasian Economic Union, like, uh, we've got a friend from Switzerland, a, f- right. a family we know from Switzerland who've just moved to one of the countries in that union. And mm. talking to him, he said that uh, it's amazing just how much innovation and 
technological adoption and new money is coming into those mm. countries like Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, because you've got the Silk Road from China wow, as well, yeah. which is building a lot of infrastructure in there. They're looking at taking most of their uh, cargo bound for Europe through those countries mm, mm. and having you know land-based ports in those countries. Mm. So for the next 50 years, that's probably the two sectors of the world where most of the money and innovation is going to be coming from because of the growing middle class. Sheesh. Yeah. So that's exciting. I'm very excited. It's definitely one to watch. Wow. Wow. Wherever you're joining us from, absolute pleasure having you here. Want to drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can visit us at FOMO.show slash Telegram. Feel free to ping us links to news, things you're seeing, random comments, memes, memes. whatever happens. Memes, lots of memes. Memes and dreams. Yeah. Oh, and look, if the other thing to say is if the link isn't working for you, if you're having any issues at all getting onto the actual channel... Just swing us an email, uh, FOMO show at protonmail.com or comment or, or tweet at us or get on Facebook and, and, and get on with us there. Or come to my house. Or come to Joe's house and stand outside his, his house and, and yell at him. Yeah. He'll come out and uh, yeah, let us know. Masternode coins. People might have heard quite a bit about them. People might, some of us might not have heard nothing about them. All I know is they were popularized by the cryptocurrency Dash. Tell us more about them. What are masternodes? Yeah, so masternodes were originated or were po- yeah, popularized by the cryptocurrency Dash, which we've talked about before. It's, it's similar to how we look at, we go to Bitcoin first to explain blockchain. It's easiest to go to Dash first to explain masternodes. Right. So masternodes on Dash are special servers and they power several functions on the network, which is uh, private send, instant send, and the governance and the treasury system on Dash. So, for example, instant send on Dash is like a quicker transaction. It it only needs two confirmations. It will pretty much be instant. That's why it's called instant send. And it won't need to go through a lot of the... uh, It won't need to go through all the block producers Mm -hmm. who produce blocks on the network to be confirmed. And the general theory behind masternodes is that they will be... The block producers on certain types of networks, and and so a lot of proof-of-stake networks use masternodes, and some proof-of-work networks use masternodes as well. And they're essentially nodes on the network which are up all the time. They've generally got some minimum requirements about the server, so you you couldn't just run a a masternode on like a Raspberry Pi or something because it's required to have a certain amount of... Transaction capability, processing capability, mm-hmm. speed, etc., 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 and um, and so these are essentially like super nodes mm. on the on the network, which can perform the more advanced functions of whatever the platform uh, dictates. So on Dash, they uh, the the master to get to become a master node, you usually have to buy in. So you right. need like a thousand Dash, for example, in the Dash network to be able to start a master node and you essentially need to lock that up you need wow. to lock that money up and uh and 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 essentially what do they call it um um and they call that collateral right. so if you want to buy in to having a master node you put this money down as a collateral and then you get to not only uh power private send and instant send hmm. but you get a certain amount of every block reward so right. every block that's Minted by the network on Dash, for example, you get 45% of the reward goes to the masternodes. 
Right. And uh, there's also a 10%. So on Dash, 45% of the reward goes to the master node. 45% of the reward goes to the miners. So the general proof of work miners uh, who are producing the, the normal blocks. Mm-hmm. And then 10% goes to the treasury. And what the treasury right. is, it's like a fund where 10% of all the rewards get paid into. And every month, a payment gets made to like the treasury account mm. of Dash. And that treasury account, if you have a master node, you have a vote to determine right. what happens with that money. Wow. So the, having the master node essentially gives you a entitlement to talk about, to choose what gets funded and it also gives you an entitlement on dash to participate in the governance. Wow. Wow. So how, how much would it cost for me to set up a master node for dash? Yeah, so dash is a thousand dash which is a, which is at the moment looking at the current figures about $250,000. Wow. So it's not cheap. Wow. It was a lot cheaper back when Dash first started, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a lot more expensive to set up a Dash Masternode now. So how do they work? Simply put, uh, Masternode is like a server with a full copy of the blockchain, which guarantees a minimum level of performance, functionality, and uptime. So mm. essentially, they set the standard for the network and they take care of not just block production, but a lot of the special tasks right. that happen on the network. So if you want to start a masternode, you need to basically make sure that it's going to be online 24-7. Right. And you need to agree to the the, the, the minimum requirements of these masternodes. And that's that can differ from network to network. But generally, the obligations and expectations are a lot higher on people running masternodes than the general people who might be staking or right. uh, mining blocks on the network. So how would what uh, what's the what's the most common way that people would host those? Yeah, so essentially the the way that a lot of people are doing it now is they're using what's called a VPS, which is a vir- virtual private server. So I uh, I've set up a few master nodes myself recently, oh, yeah. uh, and that's part of the reason why we're talking about it today because I've I've uh, had some practical experience recently setting up master nodes on some smaller coins, some wow. some lower cap coins, and. Uh, and the general process is you'll rent a VPS. So it yeah. could be, it's generally like $5 a month. It's mm-hmm. not that expensive to get a VPS which has enough power to run a masternode. Right. And then you will generally set up, uh, you'll, you'll buy the required amount of yep. cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And then you will generally send it to a local wallet first. And you'll set whatever you need to set up on your local wallet. Mm-hmm. And then you'll set, you'll generally like install some dependencies on your server so it's generally a linux server you need to set up on your virtual private server Mm. and then you put in some commands you install some dependencies you install the wallet and then there's generally a a formula you need to do to make it so that your masternode is ready to be a masternode on the network right 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 once you've done all that and you've uh, put your collateral in, so you've you've locked those coins away and said, "Yep, here's my amount to buy in. I now want to be a full block producer on this network mm-hmm. and do everything a masternode does." Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then you're you're pretty much good to go. You wow. just send it the start signal, and it'll start um, it'll start running the software which secures the network. Wow! And the big thing with these masternodes, and the reason why they're so worth looking into, if you're interested in. Uh, experiencing some of the different ways you can make money in crypto and and participate in the network Mm -hmm. is that they will earn you interest. So you will get payments for, uh, for securing the network by these masternodes and those payments differ between all the different blockchains. So some 
uh, master node systems like the bigger ones, PIVX, Dash, uh, um, Wager, a few mm-hmm. of those other ones, they are... They their their payouts aren't that big. Right. The, the reward for running a master node in comparison to the amount of money you need to spend to run the master node isn't as big. Right. And so for people on those ones, the passive income would be nice because I mean if you're holding the <coughs> if you're holding the coin because you believe the coin's going to appreciate, then you know having a master node is essentially like getting an extra benefit from holding those coins. Uh, but for the ones that don't pay out as much regularly, then the benefit is more that you get to participate in the governance of the network wow. and you need to make decisions and things like that. But for some of the lower cap coins, there's an opportunity there if you if you if you if you look into them and you and you're quite careful and realistic about what you can do with them to uh, to make some some a decent amount of interest on wow. your investment. Uh, within some of these coins because they may have higher payout rates than uh, you see on the the PIVX or the dashes of uh, masternode coins. So what are some of those the, the other coins that are running uh, that allow for masternodes and um, and where could I go to find them? Yeah, so there are a, a, a whole bunch of uh, masternode coins that that allow that and uh, there's you know so for example there's there's some called Neutron. Um, there's one called Ion, I think. There's right. uh, one I was looking at recently called Purex. Um, the the issue with a lot of these, of course, is that they may not have the best development teams. Right. A lot of them are just forks of right. of PIVX or Dash, um, and they're they're more like someone's science experiment, right. which which they've worked out they might be able to make a bit of money from, right. rather than. Uh, le- legitimately trying to build something that may be relevant for a number of coming years. Right. But there's a website called masternodes.pro and that's probably the best aggregation site I've found for some of the more notable masternode coins. And it, it lists it essentially like what you would see on CoinMarketCap or OnChainFX or CoinGecko or any of those coins where you can see details like how much a masternode costs you uh, and the amount that's required what a masternode is currently worth, how much it pays out monthly and yearly based on the current interest rates, mm-hmm. and a number of other statistics. So you can essentially look at it and get a, a good idea of what some of them do. Um, but it look, I, personally, I found that it, it, it's, it only aggregates a certain amount of coins, and I, I don't know how well it's maintained. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly how accurate all the information is. So you've had a lot of fun experimenting with with, with these with some of these smaller smaller coins, mm. but what is, what have you what do you learn doing that? Yeah, so I've found that to to find something that you can cut your teeth on, you know, something that isn't too expensive mm-hmm. that uh, you're going to be investing a significant amount of money into it. Mm. You really need to look in the weeds. Um, there's a website called Bitcoin Talk. It's a forum. It's kind of where all of the original blockchain stuff sprung from. So back when Satoshi was still around and a lot of the earlier guys were working on the projects, everyone talked on Bitcoin Talk, right, which is a forum. Right, right, right. And uh, and it, it's in the name Bitcoin Talk. It was I think it was started by Satoshi or... Uh, it was started by someone else that got on very early. Right. And that's where all the new projects used to announce things. So right. if you go back, you can see like Litecoin, the announcement thread for Litecoin and, mm. and all the talk about it. And you can see like the announcement thread for Ethereum. These days, things are a lot more decentralized. So you've got Telegram and and Slack and all sorts of different, um, Reddit and all sorts of different communication mediums. But I've generally found that most of the new masternode projects are still announced on 
on Bitcoin talk mm. because it seems to be where most of the coin creation community still hangs out. Right. Um, so uh, I've generally found that to 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 pick out some of these master nodes and and look at them and see whether they're actually worth my time, uh, which most of them aren't. But uh, to, to to kind of do that due diligence, you need to go through. The, the Bitcoin talk mm, forums mm, mm, mm. and uh, and and look through there and, and work it and and that's generally been um, been the way I've found the ones that I've I've, I've cutting my teeth on mm. and and you can find some real gems in there. Right. Um, so setting these up is it technically intensive? What would you can for anybody who's new to setting up master nodes? You know they might have. What what difficulty would you relate relate that to? Is it as easy as as it is to install an operating system on a computer, or how would you compare it difficulty wise? Yeah, look, I think it's it's definitely more difficult than installing an operating system on a computer. Right. Um. You you uh you have to set up a server, so right. you've got to be probably a bit familiar with how Linux works right. and uh and the command line right. and terms like that. In saying that, though, most of these masternode coins have a, a decent guide you right. know if you if you follow the guide you can generally uh get the thing set up it might take you some time right but you can eventually get there and a lot of the time if you just go through the forums or go on their discord mm-hmm. and ask or look look for someone else that's asked the question you might have first and a lot of the time you'll find the answer but if not you can generally ask the question and someone will help you out mm. um Otherwise, you know, if you can, you can Google the problem, and you might find that someone else can help you out with that too. So, right. it's technologically intensive, but it's not impossible. The right. guides out there are pretty good, and uh, look, it's really good learning experience because you you do actually begin to learn how a lot of these projects are put together and how these blockchains work, mm. um, which is really interesting. And and I was stepping you through one earlier. So one one of the ones that I've I've put some put some money into and set up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was showing you earlier how it, how it all worked. You'd think you're seeing the amount that it costs to buy a dash node, a quarter of a million dollars. There are some of them that, that only cost, you know, a few hundred dollars to set up. So mm. it's not necessarily so difficult to get into. No, it's not. And I mean, there's there's ones, the, the one I set up a few days ago cost me, I think, 30 or $40, wow. you know, to get a master node. And the return on investment on on that one is is quite good. So wow. it's 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 weird talking about this stuff as if you're you're getting your money back, you know. Mm-hmm. But you can generally get your investment back at the current market rates uh, without taking too long wow. on a lot, on some of these smaller ones. Wow. So uh, so you might not even need a few hundred dollars. It might be more like fifty dollars or something wow. that you wow. put wow. into wow. some of these. Um, I would warn that you need to be careful. So I set my, I generally with most of these coins, I set my wallet up on a virtual machine. Right. So I don't set it up on my main operating right, system. Right, right. I, I start a virtual machine uh, and you can Google guides to set virtual machines up. They're pretty easy to set up. Mm-hmm. And uh, What's and the benefit of that? So the benefit of having a virtual machine is it's cordoned off from the rest of your computer. Right. So it's kind of like running an operating system within an operating system but it's in its own like container. So right. you, you kind of essentially you set up a container and you install you might install Windows in that right, container. Right. And then you can open it like any other application and you've got another copy of Windows there, but it can't really touch your main operating right. system. So if anything goes wrong in there or there's some malware in there, generally speaking it can't jump from that container right. into your main operating system. Sensible for sensible. Yeah, yeah. So I mean because you're downloading things that someone's made probably in their basement hmm. and uh, you don't know whether it's actually legitimate or not and it's you know it's it's something that you need to uh, you need to be careful with hmm. so hmm. it makes it's a lot I get a lot more peace of mind when I install it on a virtual machine and uh, 
yeah, I generally don't go after anything that hasn't at least been listed on one exchange. Mm. So there are a few. There are clearly some benefits with this. I mean, you get some newly issued coins from the coin that you invest in. Yeah. But what are some of the disadvantages of you know getting into masternodes? Yeah. So some of the the uh, the disadvantages is for one, you tie your funds up, so right. you're essentially a hardcore holder right. by getting into these things because you have to put your funds up as collateral. Right. For to have to have the master note, so you're decreasing the supply of the coin. Um, you're not using it; you're just holding it, and uh, that's a con. It could also be a pro because you are getting rewarded for that, mm. which could become your spending money. Another issue is that the uh, these things really benefit the early adopters most. So right. the people that get in really early, generally, it's it's a lot cheaper for them to get in. Uh, they can they can get their master nodes up and running a lot quicker. Generally, there's like a, a, a gradual scale where the rewards decrease over time as the network grows. So the people that get in early generally seem to make a lot of money. That's one of the biggest complaints with Dash. Uh, Dash had a very big, uh, what they call Instamine or pre-mine right. early on. And a lot of people got a lot of Dash early on and were able to set up these masternodes. And wow. because of the way that masternodes compound, mm. because these masternodes make so much money, it then allows them to set up more masternodes wow. from those masternode right. rewards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, you, you kind of mm. have the, the rich getting richer and the, the poor getting poorer right. in a way. Um, so with Dash, you know, you're earning 23,000 US dollars a year from a masternode. Yep. But that may not have cost very much at all back in the day. Exactly, and wow. if you've got twenty masternodes, you're earning an ex- you're earning two masternodes worth every year. You know, masternodes sound pretty cool. Technically, a bit to set up, but sound pretty cool to explore. Yeah, look, I mean, look. To to be frank, the main reason you would explore masternodes at the moment that aren't on any of the big networks is to make money. Right, and I think you have to approach it with eyes wide open. Um, and this is not investment advice, but you need to be very realistic when you're coming to these coins and you need to expect that it could all go to zero tomorrow if the project crashes or something else. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you can, if you do what I'm doing, for example, and, and get into some of these masternodes, make your money back, move that money out so you're not losing anything, mm-hmm. then everything else is, it's uh, it's profit really. And it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting way to learn about the blockchain, to learn about how some of these networks are working. Mm. And uh, it's kind of fun. Even just showing you before how these Mate, things that work. that looked awesome. It was just clicking around, showing a wallet that was like cordoned off from your main computer and just seeing that there was a real reward that came in there. Mm. You had a certain amount and then it was after a few days you'd already received a reward, yeah. which you can cash out right now from something you didn't even buy. This is why the tax thing is so weird though. Yeah. Because you're getting that money without investing in it. Yeah, I say you're getting that money. You're getting a coin. You're going to get taxed on that capital gains. It is a gain. It's yeah, ridiculous. it's a, it's essentially a gain. So it's ridiculous. And the, the the question for everyone in their various jurisdictions is when you realise that gain, like at what time? And I don't think a lot of governments have sorted this stuff out yet. And that's why this should be a separate asset class, which is an entirely different conversation. But uh, it, we've got there's nothing like this. You know, we're talking about masternodes here there's there's no comparable analog anywhere else in the financial world for this mm. kind of stuff it's yeah. completely new so anyway um look check out masternodes if you want to chat more about it jump on it seriously jump on our telegram uh be more than happy to talk through this kind of stuff with you uh give you some tips help you out uh they're 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 fun yeah. they're really fun to get yeah. into 
good weekend yeah. project for when it's raining. That's right. In our privacy and security section, we're looking at a tool called Nextcloud. Um, N-E-X-T Cloud. It lets you host your own cloud with a bunch of stuff on there. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so Nextcloud is really interesting because it's essentially designed to be an alternative to Google Drive or OneDrive or Dropbox. And they have so much functionality. I, uh, I initially checked out Nextcloud because I was on a big privacy kick and I looked up something called OwnCloud and mm-hmm. found out that uh, that Nextcloud was kind of like the next version of it. Wow. So a lot of the OwnCloud team had left because there were some issues there and, uh, and they went and found a Nextcloud. And uh, the more I looked into Nextcloud, the more I realized that it was actually a really powerful alternative to... Google Drive and OneDrive and Dropbox, but also some other things like your calendar app. So Google Calendar and they've got document management in there and they've got uh, all sorts of collaborative tools behind the scenes. And initially I looked at it and I thought, well, how can an open source project be so good and have so much functionality? But I researched a bit more on it and I found that they offer a lot of their services to businesses. Right. And and they allow businesses to essentially host their own cloud. So why would anyone want to host their own cloud anyway? The main reason why you would want to use Nextcloud is if you want control of your own data. So at the moment, anything you put on a cloud storage account, be it Microsoft, be it Google, be it Dropbox, that data is available to any employee with the privileges to look at it in Google or whatever Mm -hmm. other organization it is. But what it means is that everything you put in cloud storage is visible Mm. to other people somewhere in in offices. Mm. And while some people may be comfortable with that, it's... It really represents a huge breach of privacy, especially if you're putting sensitive documents in there, like mm-hmm. things that, uh, you know, be, be it financial records, be it uh, private photos, especially if, like, if you're backing your photos up to the cloud, for example, mm-hmm. you need to expect with any of those services that someone's going to see them mm. and people are going to look through them pretty regularly. Nextcloud on, in the alternative gives you the ability to host it yourself. So you can do it anywhere from, say, like the VPS, like what we talked about before with the master nodes. Mm-hmm. You can host Nextcloud on a VPS or a web server. So, for example, I've got a Nextcloud on one of my websites mm-hmm. and it just sits there behind the scenes. I install it off cPanel, which is what runs the back end for, for mm-hmm. most web mm-hmm. hosting services. Right. And uh, it gives you the full, basically the full suite wow. just there. And you can you can start a calendar you can start uploading photos and videos and managing documents and all sorts of things or if you really want to get really serious you can host it at home wow and you can put it on like a server a little server that you build and whack a hard drive into it and as long as you've got like a static ip address Mm -hmm. so something that stays the same all the time you can connect to it from anywhere in the world and it's like your own cloud hosting service wow yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So next cloud. If you're interested in being your own Google, minus the search, check, check it, it out. out. So we're going to give uh, Jordan a call now. He texted us earlier from somewhere, basically said, can you call me when you get the chance? I'm not really sure what he wants. Uh, last time we left him... He was um, trying to find John McAfee in that's the right. middle of nowhere. Yeah. Bit odd, but um, yeah, coconut coin or some, some nonsense he was talking that's about. That's right, yeah. So Interesting chap. Yeah, let's, let's, let's see what he's up to. Hello? Jordan, is that you? 
yes, yes, hello, hold on one second. No, 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 no. starboard, starboard. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, my dad, yeah. how are you doing, huh? I'm good, Jordan, it's a bit hard to hear you. Where are you? Uh, look, I'm on a scientific research vessel, uh, just just uh, off the coast of Japan, huh? A scientific research vessel? Yes, I'm trying, yeah, I'm on the hunt, for, I'm, I'm on the hunt for some big Bitcoin whales, huh? Did you say Bitcoin whales, Jordan? For science, Bitcoin for science, whales, yes. Right, so you're in the, you're in... You're off the coast of Japan in a storm, it sounds like, Look, hunting Bitcoin whales. I don't have a lot of time. My phone credit is very, it's very poor here. It costs me a lot of money. But yes, we are hunting whales. What more do I need to say, huh? Okay, Jordan, just, just one question. What do you think Bitcoin whales actually are? Look, it's something we're, we're looking on the sonar. We're seeing if we can see. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. We'll know when we catch them that, you know, and, and we research it. But for now, we are just looking, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Look, look. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not an easy job, but I'm, I'm trying to do it. Somebody has to do it, you know? So I'm on the hunt for them. I'll let you know what I find. I'll catch you soon. So two weeks ago, he was on a Pacific island. He'd started coconut chain or coconut coin or something. We leave him alone for two weeks. This is supposed to be our roving reporter who does serious features for us here at the Fame Show. We need to drugs test this man. The, the problem is he, he he could write some really interesting pieces for us because he lives a really interesting life. Yeah. It's just nailing the guy down and actually getting him to do something. Could you imagine the life the and times part. of Jordan Cronje? I mean, oh, that, I'd buy that book. I would buy that book too. Yeah. But he's off hunting Bitcoin whales. <laughs> If you know someone who might enjoy the show, please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump in our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. You can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FOMO show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember... No fun. the sounds of the subtle crunch of the chocolate chip biscuit with your host mm. Matt Shearing mm. this is really good mm. Mm. that looks good where did you get them? Woolworth a fine a fine establishment of wares and tears like home brand it's so weird because Woolworths in the UK went totally bust they were a store that didn't know what they did. They were a stationer 
mix with you know you could buy a pick and mix for your sweets you could buy dvds and vhs tapes there really and like they didn't really sell there was nothing that you went there in particular for but they did all of it so were they not really a supermarket or no they're not even a supermarket oh, in australia okay. woolworths yeah. supermarket it's yeah. where you buy your groceries yeah in england you wouldn't dream of buying your groceries at woolworths <laughs> you'd buy those tacky gifts for your family at christmas at woolworths oh so they were kind of like a Kind of like office work, but not really yeah, office work. Okay. Like if you took the sad child of like the reject store, <laughs> I don't even know what the, the reject, reject I've never walked in, but it's what I imagine. It's just like cheap, cheap stuff. It's like, that. Yeah. It's, it's exactly stuff. that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Because there is a, there is a place in the UK, which is, I noticed was in a fair amount of different places, which is kind of like the high end groceries everything's a lot more expensive there marks and spencers yes marks and sparks yes i just didn't and i didn't understand or waitrose yeah marks and spencers pretty yep. pretty bougie yeah yeah because the one i always went to was sainsbury's yeah yeah which i really liked yeah I, I, like they had some really good stuff in there they had yeah. these like two dollar meals oh i didn't nice. want to spend much on meals yeah like, especially for lunchtime so i just get these sainsbury's like two dollar meals i just like heat them up question yes have you eaten a pork pie in your life uh, I think so at a pub. Nice in the Good. UK. I'm, I'm glad. pretty sure. I'm it, glad. Like, because generally I go to a pub and I'd like be like, "What's the local?" Wait, it's like a cold pie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That you heat up. Oh. Wait, you're talking about cold pork, pie? A cold pork, pork pie. pie? Yeah, it's like. Right here we go. Pork pie. It's cold. Oh, it's cold. It's sometimes if it's fancy, it's got oh, an egg in it. What? Nah. Okay, so what it is? That's it looks like, like meatloaf. It's like pork mince. It's just a thick amount of pork mince. Oh. So it's like chilled. It's like a jelly around. Oh, yuck. <laughs> really? <laughs> Bear with me. And it's got this crisp pastry on the outside and like meat on the inside. That and a bit of hot sauce. That is lunch. And you can buy those oh. at shops for, you know, one or two pounds. See, I'm all about like pastry on the outside, meat on the inside. Like yeah. I love like sausage rolls, meat pies. Um, uh, whatever Sausage else, rolls you know, yeah. even like mince mince pies, yeah. like you know, like your 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 spiced yeah. mince cold pies, yeah, love it. But I don't know, that just looks like it just doesn't look very appealing. Right. Maybe I'm buying pork open. pies for all of my close friends <laughs> and see how many close friends I have after. I'll double the amount of friends. <laughs> I'll lose everybody in time. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna get you one of those, man. You need to you need to try them. Okay, they're the staple of a British picnic. Would it be fair to say they, like, along with tea, they sustain the British nation? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons Brexit is no problem, you know? We have pork pies, pies, we've got cider, yeah. and we've got the Queen. The first explorers to walk to the South Pole or the North Pole are in, were insane people. Mm. Like, I was driving 10 hours to get just a tiny amount across the Australian map. I was driving for hours. There was so much stuff to drive past. Like the colour of the soil changed on that journey. Yep. These people went the whole way to the South Pole. In the When did they go? The 18, 1900s? Yeah, yeah. It was like late 1800s, I think. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And they walked to the middle. There, weren't exp- there was not a pub at the end. There was nowhere <laughs> to go. You go to a point. For nothing. There wasn't even a pole there. For like, no, I had to, they had to plant the pole. You had to plant the pole, <laughs> and then for what? Yeah. And then you just, come back. There's no one's it. cheering yeah. you. People That's died. Terrible. You know, like families lost sons, wives lost husbands. 
Mate. Just for human exploration. The same thing happened in Australia with Burke and Wills. I don't know if you've heard the story no. of Burke and Wills, no. but for, uh, in Australia, back when uh, you know we we colonised, there was a because the country was so big, there was all these exploration expeditions. You know, because going out from Sydney Harbour where they first landed to mm. anywhere was like an adventure, and everywhere was new. You know, and 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 then eventually settlements sprung up, and there was a settlement called Adelaide, which is now the capital city of South Australia. Mm. Uh, on the the bottom of Australia, and there was a settlement way up the top of Australia called Darwin, um, and uh, and then further up from that there was Cape York, which is like the, the top tip of Australia. Right. And what Burke and Wills decided they wanted to do was they wanted to go from one side to the other, so they wanted <laughs> to go from Adelaide all the way up to uh, to the top of Australia. Wow! And this through was, Australia or around the edge? No, all the just through the middle. They zigzagged a bit. You know, I don't think they went directly through the middle, but it was basically like from the bottom to the top. And this was way back in the day. Like this was, they basically just had to, I think they had horses at the start, but they were walking by the end, you know. And um, and what eventually ended up happening, happening was they had all these supplies mm-hmm. and they got a certain way and they said, look, like we don't need all these supplies. We don't need to take them all the way to the top. We're going to be coming back this way anyway. So let's bury half of our supplies. So... <laughs> So, you know, so we can pick them up on the way back, right. and uh, and so they what they did was they were in this area with a, a bunch of trees, and they said, "Let's just put a mark on this tree because we'll come back the same way," you know, and and, <laughs> and, and, and and that's like nuts in and of itself because if you've even tried to find someone's house in the city, yeah. you know how hard it is. Like, <laughs> or if you if you've played hide and seek in a forest, you know how hard it is to find the exact same place mm. you're at. Let alone if you're walking across a country the size of Australia. Where every tree looks the same. Where every tree looks the same. But anyway, <laughs> they they thought this was a bright idea and I, I guess the heat was finally getting to them at this stage or yeah. something. So they, they drew on the tree and said, dig here yeah. and pointed to the thing and buried their buried their um right. their stuff. Now they were good enough to go all the way to the top and get back to that same I think it was within like five hundred meters or something mm. to where they dug this hole and, and, mm. and planted the stuff. And kind of knew where they were. They were like, "Oh, this looks familiar. This is where we, this is where we hid the food," but they couldn't find the tree. <laughs> what? And so they died. Wow! They died of of, uh, of hunger or thirst or or both. And uh, and the area where I think at least one of them died was only like, yeah, like five hundred meters from the tree or something ridiculous. But that's the story of Burke and Wills. And, and they and same thing. They were just like, we just want to walk from the bottom to the top. But why would you walk from that? Like, you would be walking for weeks. Yeah. And there is no GPS that tells you how far to your destination. You're walking no. with an indeterminate... What? Uh, more, what? Uh, but, but... And how would you know where... Nah. To those people, though, you know, and to those, those guys, like, they're, they're nuts, first of all. But also, they're like, we'll be the first people seeing these places. Sheesh, respect. Yeah. So, that, is, uh, that is a tough brand of yeah. person who wants to cross Australia. Oh, they, were, they, they did it really tough back then. Sheesh. Australian history here yeah, on the Fano Show. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Tell you what, you need, you need <laughs> an authoritarian ruler. Yeah, yeah. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, please feel free. Oh, come on. Again, the finish line.